Hi there. Thanks for joining us today as we continue our messages from the book of Acts. Today I want to bring us right back to the beginning of the book. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. In my former book Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised you, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're in the middle of a series of stories of revolution, stories of God's kingdom breaking into the lives of people all across the ancient world. We've heard about the radical transformation of a small group of dejected Jesus followers, devastated by his death at the hands of religious and secular authorities into brave and emboldened band of brothers and sisters that transformed their world, as well as the lives of countless millions upon millions of believers ever since. Luke recorded the earliest stories in the history of this revolution, describing how the power of the kingdom of God was unleashed by the risen Christ through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, exactly as Jesus told his disciples it would happen. And it continues today. We are part of that same band of brothers and sisters, receiving the same Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is still expanding. It's transforming lives right across the whole earth exactly as God told us in his word that it would. Like the disciples, we don't know when it will ultimately be revealed in all its fullness and glory, but we do know that God's plan is certain. It's fixed according to his eternal, unchanging purposes. And we also know we have the privilege of participating as his witnesses in his kingdom expansion to the ends of the earth exactly as he planned since before the beginning of time for us to do. We are living through what many are calling a unique time in our history. As countless social media memes tell us, 2020 is proving to be a year unlike anything we've ever experienced in our lifetimes. And I suspect it's one that we would like to move on from as soon as we can. This week will probably be particularly challenging because of the tensions in our nation around the election. 
These tensions have only been heightened by the underlying unease we all feel from a pandemic that never seems to end. Whether in the news, social media or just driving around town, it's almost impossible to escape the nasty rhetoric and friction in our society right now. Former National Review staff writer David French has just published a fascinating book. It examines some of the possible ramifications of the growing conspiracy-minded rhetoric in the US. He commented that the United States is less united as a country than at any time in history since the Civil War. We are more diverse in our principles and societies than ever before. But red and blue states, secular and religious groups, and liberal and conservative idealists have one thing in common. They believe that their distinct cultures and liberties are being threatened by an increasingly violent opposition. Clustering is feeding extremism. Extremism is feeding anger. And anger is feeding fear. A JL Partners poll undertaken just last week suggests that the United States, as they put it, is a tinderbox of angst right now. 72% of voters of all political persuasions describe themselves as very or quite fearful about the post-election world, especially with respect to violence breaking out. I want us to pause for a moment today to examine how our perspective of God's kingdom can help us in the midst of all this uncertainty and concern. Our understanding of the kingdom of God is critical. Luke takes time to emphasise two things that Jesus did in the 40 days before his ascension. He proved he'd risen from the dead and he instructed the disciples about the kingdom of God. Jesus announced the kingdom at the beginning of his ministry. And now he was initiating the next phase, the expansion of his kingdom to the ends of the earth through the witness of the church. And these plans and purposes for mankind haven't changed. And neither have they been thwarted or undermined in any way whatsoever by circumstances in history, including the ones we face today. The gospel of the kingdom is God's plan for humankind, and that plan is exactly on track. Theologian R.C. Sproul explained that God's kingdom is completely secure in his hands because his plan isn't dependent on us. Rather, it's grounded by him in his own counsel in eternity, before the foundation of the world was laid. God has no alternative plan because his counsel is rooted in his infallibility, his omniscience and his perfect righteousness. Nothing could ever come up in nature's contingencies that would incline God to change his eternal purpose. He knows the end from the beginning. So you can be encouraged today, even in the turmoil of 2020. Jesus has done everything necessary for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is more, he is working out his plan through us. 
His people were a people chosen to eternal life in his kingdom by the Father, were known to the Son and were called by him on mission as his witnesses through whom he is making his appeal to humankind. Jesus said, I know my sheep and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. Paul added, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Our understanding of God's kingdom has a profound impact on the way we view our lives and purpose, as well as the way we relate to others. So what exactly is this kingdom all about? Theologian George Eldon Ladd described the kingdom of God as the present rule of God in the hearts and lives of those who yield themselves to him, as well as a future age when he rules over all the world. It is a future age, one we will all enjoy together in a fully restored earth. But it's also a present reality where all those who have faith in Jesus experience the blessing of his reign in their lives right now, right in the midst of this broken, chaotic world, even this week. Jesus' kingdom rule is quite unlike any human rule or dominion. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about it as the place of blessing, the place of true human flourishing, where we become all we were created to be, rooted in God's deep, holistic peace. This is completely different from secular human ideas of peace and success. It's not the American dream or a socialist panacea. It's not material gain or an easy life. It's not escapism or some kind of existential inner peace. It's not even the present absence of suffering and pain. It's what the Bible calls shalom, the place of flourishing that can only come from being held securely in the peace of Christ in the midst of the turmoil and strife of the world. I'm not sure where this photograph came from, but I love this lighthouse keeper standing nonchalantly in the doorway of his lighthouse, hands in his pocket looking out at a raging storm. The storm is wild, but he knows he can trust the lighthouse's foundation to keep him safe. This is something like the peace we enjoy in Jesus in his kingdom. This is shalom. It doesn't matter what storms rage around us. His love and peace remain strong and secure. He won't let us go. Now this doesn't mean we don't face trials and tribulations. Indeed, Jesus warned us about them. But our foundation isn't rooted in this temporal life. It's rooted in the eternal promises of God who holds us securely in his hands. As amazing is the peace we receive in God's kingdom, the kingdom of God isn't just about peace for us. It's also, as Jesus announced right at the beginning of his ministry, the fulfillment in himself of God's long-standing promises to humankind. 
It's good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, liberty for the oppressed. It's the Lord's favour lavished on all who would receive him. In the very good gospel, Lisa Sharon Harper put it this way. Shalom is what the kingdom smells like. Shalom is when human dignity bestowed by the image of God in all humanity is recognised and cultivated in every single human being. It's the vision set forth in the garden and the restoration God desires for every broken relationship. Because despite our anxious minds, despite divisions and despite threats of violence, God's vision remains wholeness for a fragmented world, peace for a hurting soul. The kingdom of God is the place where a right relationship has been restored between each one of us and our creator and between each other. It's the way the two greatest commandments to love God and to love our neighbour are fulfilled. This is the core message of the gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated. The shalom of God has arrived and is available to all who put their faith in him. This isn't just a set of nice ideas we can somehow tack onto our lives. It isn't a peace potion or something to make our lives better or to improve our relationships with others. It's way more radical than that. Even entry into God's kingdom demands a revolution. It demands, as Jesus challenged Nicodemus, that we need to be born again. Jesus said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Born again, born of water and the Spirit, except a man or woman has another birth, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones translated this phrase, he or she will never even see the kingdom of God. These are possibly the most crucial phrases in the whole of the Christian faith. To enter the kingdom of God is to become a brand new person. Everything is made new, Paul said. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. God does not renovate us. In order to enter the kingdom of God, we must die so we can be born again from above. This is the great act of God. This is the great mystery of our faith. This is the miracle initiated by God himself and received by faith by those given the power to receive him, as the Apostle John said right at the beginning of his gospel. And this changes everything. As Christians, we've been transformed out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. We are new creations in Christ, and that means everything is now different, including how we see the world. We have new eyes of faith to see the world through. We've been raised from the dead along with Christ, and we've been seated with him in the heavenly realms. Our vantage point has changed, and so now we view the world differently. 
We look at the world through the lens of the kingdom of God rather than with our old natural eyes. And we're not just members of this new kingdom. We've been given a part to play. Jesus has made us his witnesses. We're ambassadors of his kingdom. We still live in the world, but we are no longer of it. Our citizenship is now in heaven, Peter says. We're sojourners and exiles in this world. The world is now like a foreign country that we've been placed back into to represent the kingdom of God. This isn't a new idea dreamed up by modern theologians. I know I've used this quote before, but it's so good, I want to say it again. In one of the earliest defences of the gospel from the second century, the writer put it like this. Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own, or speak a strange dialect, or follow some outlandish way of life. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they have to be living in. And yet, there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labour under the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children. They pass their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, they live on a level that transcends the law. We are still in the world. We play our full role as citizens, but we are no longer of the world. Something extraordinary has happened and we are now strangers and exiles in our own towns. We've become aliens in a familiar world with a mission. We are God's people partnering with the risen Christ to live out his rule and reign in our own lives and among those he's placed us with. We are now part of God's plan to change the world. And as I mentioned in the introduction, God is making his appeal to the world through us. How poignant is that right now? We are living in unprecedented days. And as citizens of heaven, our response to the circumstances we face at this moment in history really matters. We are part of God's plan to change the world and when God wants to change the world, he does it his way. Drawing heavily on the language of the Sermon on the Mount, theologian N.T. Wright said, when God wants to change the world, he doesn't drop bombs or roll out the tanks. He sends in the meek, the merciful, the humble, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, and those who hunger and thirst to see justice done. The kingdom of God is about restorative justice. Southern Baptist Ethics Commission President Russell Moore said, the vision of the kingdom then will not just inform us on what to care about, 
but also how we advocate for such things. Our mission is defined in terms of a gospel appeal to reconciliation, not to the subjugation of our foes. As followers of Jesus, we are now part of God's revolution, and that totally changes the way we engage with the world. We are no longer like other people. We are not meant to be like secular human revolutionaries, fighting our corner against others that think differently than we do. No, we are Christ's representatives, called to engage with the world under his terms. God's revolution is unlike any human revolution. As Wright and Moore said, it's not about bombs and tanks, harsh words and judgment. It's not about undermining and subjugating our enemies like the world does. No, it's the opposite. God's revolution is a reconciliation revolution and it's brought about by the meek, the merciful, the humble, the peacemakers, by the nobodies in this world's eyes that are now flourishing under the shalom peace of Christ in his kingdom. Those who are able to demonstrate to those around them what fullness of life actually looks like. This is going to be a challenging week for many people. No matter how the election turns out, there are going to be many that are disappointed and disillusioned, both within our church family as well as in the wider community. This is such an important time to consider our words and actions carefully. While you may feel really strongly about what is happening right now, before you speak, can I encourage you to think deeply about the impact your words will have on those that hear or read them. Put yourself in their shoes. Try to understand why they might feel the way they do. Let's take a moment to lift up and support our brothers and sisters, our family, friends, co-workers and neighbours this week, especially those who have different views from ours. Let's reflect the shalom peace of God's kingdom to everyone we encounter this week, including in our tweets and posts on social media. Let's act with meekness, mercy and humility. Let's be the peacemakers the kingdom calls us to be. I'd like to close my message today with an encouragement to all followers of Jesus in these difficult times to remember that we are chosen members of the kingdom of God. We are in the world, but we're no longer of it. We face the same issues and challenges, disappointments and fears as everyone else. But thanks to Jesus, we've tasted the kingdom of God and we've been spoilt for anything else. We have the shalom peace of God deep in our hearts, right in the middle of this chaotic, polarized and broken world. And we have a completely different vantage point on that world. We've died to our old lives. We've had another birth from above by the Spirit. So we are now children of the King, part of a royal household, sons and daughters of God. We're in a different kingdom now. 
were foreigners in our old world, placed back into it as Jesus' ambassadors. So let's reflect that kingdom in all our engagements in our community, especially this week, online as well as face to face. Let's be peacemakers, God's shalom carriers, those that bring a taste of Jesus's kingdom reconciliation revolution to all we meet through our humility, mercy and desire to point others to Jesus. Thank you.